Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? It's your boy, Isaac. And this is your boy, Bryce. And we are Brothers on Tennis. And folks, we've got another round with one of our absolute favorite lawyers. We've got Mr. Paul S. Haberman on the show. And uh, boy, oh boy, are we going to talk about some fun things, right, Bryce? Absolutely. See, he should have never told us that we have a resource to talk to when all this stuff starts hitting the fan, right? <laughs> because clearly exactly. the players got the message at Wimbledon that we can let stuff hit the fan. <laughs> you know? Exactly. They knew. They knew. <laughs> exactly. So, Paul, welcome back to Brothers on Tennis. And, and you know, we were just chatting a few minutes ago about the number of situations that have occurred since we've last talked that have either some sort of legal or um, rules or regulations type of um, impact here. Um, so I think what we'll do is we'll let you kick it off and we'll chime in on these various uh, scenarios. Oh, first of all, thank you for having me back. Um, and uh, I could certainly uh, MC the scenarios here uh, if desired. I, I guess the, the first one to start with was probably one of the better publicized ones. And it actually wasn't really uh, an, an issue at all. It was just that the crowd didn't entirely know what was going on. And that was the uh, the handshake or lack thereof at the end of uh, Vika Azarenka and Elena Spitalina's uh, match. Uh, there was some talk or a lot of talk, uh, at least in the arena, it looked like uh, on the on the court there that uh, about uh, Azarenka just kind of waving or not shaking hands with uh, Svitolina after the match. And she was booed. But, and, you know, generally you would expect that would fall under the uh, Grand Slam rule books uh, unsportsmanlike conduct uh, definition, except that, you know, as she explained it later, that was sort of an understanding between Svitolina is a, a Ukrainian and uh, uh, all Russian and Belarusian players uh, that they would not. So uh, as, uh, as a Renko's position, uh, it was out of respect to her and, uh, and understanding how she was conducting herself as a result of the conflict in Ukraine, that she didn't shake hands uh, or embrace other uh, in any form or fashion at the end of the match. Yeah, so, it seems uh, it seems interesting with that topic because we have been seeing that more and more, uh, you know, this year. I mean, we saw that um, in a in the finals, I believe it was with um, oh gosh, Kostyuk. Kostyuk was in a final, and she's from the Ukraine against a, right. a Russian player, and you know, she went, fell to the ground, did her celebration, and there was absolutely no you know, no um, exchange at all uh, between those two players. And uh, it is very disappointing when when you're seeing, uh, you know, them not being able to to or not exchanging, you know, any any either thanks or gratitude. Yeah. And I, I will say that I think I heard and I think Svetlina was the one that talked about it. You know, it was an agreement that all the um, Ukrainian players. Right. Had. Right. So and from what I understand, other than kind of Sabalenka spoke out and said how much it bothered her, it seemed like everybody kind of understood. Right. In terms of the players, the Ukrainians had this agreement. This is the way it was going to be. The fans in the audience may not have been aware. And so when they're used to seeing a non-handshake at the end of a match, you know, that's typically considered, you know, bad sportsmanship, bad sportsmanship or, right. or they're really upset about something. But 
you know, this was an agreement that the Ukrainian players made amongst themselves that they were not going to shake hands with the Belarusians and the Russians. Um, so I don't think it was as much drama between them as it was, like I think maybe Paul was saying, a lack of understanding from the audience. Right, right. right. I mean, at that point, if you had players from, say, I don't know, Andorra and Australia not uh, shaking hands at the net, that, that's a more flagrant violation. There's absolutely no reason for that. So, right. Uh, other than bad sportsmanship. So right. this this has been readily explained. It's not apparent to everybody on center court that day. So, right. And Paul, I I want to ask just for clarity too. Not shaking an opponent's hand at the end of the match. That's not against a rule, right? That's just considered bad sportsmanship. But there's not a a rule that's being broken. Or am I incorrect on that? I think it could be interpreted as a violation, but uh, I think the fact that it happens at the end of the match and uh, and perhaps, uh, you know, uh, cognizant of people's emotions at times uh, following losses, it, it probably uh, you probably wouldn't see it enforced as much as you would other ones that happen, say, during the match itself. But uh, I think officially, if you wanted to make an issue out of it, it, it would or could classify as unsportsmanlike conduct. Oh, OK. But uh, it's almost moot at that point because, well, I mean, they're still being paid by the tournament, so theoretically they could be docked pay. But, you know, that's the end for the person that usually doesn't shake hands. So in this case, there was the person that won that, that uh, has declined to shake hands with anyone from Russia or Belarus. But, uh, you know, uh, but generally, you know, you would expect the loser would be the one that wouldn't uh, want to. And that, that, that kind of has context to it, you know. Uh, yeah, I've seen you know, things similar uh, here and there in uh, professional boxing, which, as you guys know, I have clients in, and uh, you know, maybe they'll embrace or something, uh, with one dramatic exception about 20 years ago. But uh, you will hear some very unfortunate things in post-fight interviews with losers sometimes. That uh, if boxing had more of a code of conduct like that, it would be questionable too. But then you're again, you're taking disappointment, you're taking or exhausted all sorts of factors by the end of uh, a competition, whether it's boxing or tennis so at that point. Gotcha. Okay. So what is the next one? Well, the next one, I think it's worth introducing this one match in particular. I can't say I watched everything, but uh, one particular match, uh, Madison Keys versus uh, the uh, the young Russian Mira and Driva uh, seem to have two particularly interesting issues to discuss here. Uh, first uh, was what appeared to be uh, potentially, although she was uh, pretty vociferously contesting it, a uh, code of conduct violation by Andriva after she appeared to throw a racket uh, late in the match, uh, which she claimed uh, she had lost balance. It was interesting to see that in the replay because it wasn't that clear, but it looked like she kind of fired it off, but she was also tripping at the same time or uh, coming off of a play that she had missed at the same time. Um, so there, you know, that would be a code of conduct violation for uh, for equipment abuse. But uh, and then at the same time, probably around the same set, uh, she was also having an issue, uh, and she being a driva with uh, the, uh, the chair umpire, uh, because there was a challenge to a call that was made that uh, apparently wasn't audible for one reason or another. 
And uh, all things equal, uh, you could make a request for a verification of a call uh, between plays as long as it's done timely. But they considered uh, by the time they actually heard her to be untimely, it didn't actually take up the call because because uh, of potentially audibility issues ultimately, which was frustrating to her as well. So I don't know if you guys had a chance to see that match, but it was an interesting uh, showcase of uh, beginning a young prospect and an old veteran, and then, then kind of evolved into uh, you know the veteran taking over, and then some interesting opportunities for uh, regulatory analysis here. Absolutely. No, I, I actually got a chance to watch that match, Paul. And uh, A, it was a great match. I mean, Mira Andreeva played a really, really, really solid match against Keys and had her on the ropes. I mean, it was a fantastic match. Um, right. I agree with you with the with the uh, initial uh, racket abuse call. That one, I, I don't know for you know for a young young player. It, it could be interpreted both ways because, yeah, she was frustrated. She was kind of throwing the racket. But like you said, she was kind of tripping as well. So, so it kind of was amplified by that factor. And for me, I didn't think that it was that egregious that it needed to be, you know, a call. I mean, especially at that point in the match, you see that she is kind of losing control of the match because that's when Madison Keys started flipping things around and really started gaining the momentum um, I, I didn't necessarily think that that was the the best call, but at the same time, it was it was correct. I don't think that it was, it, you know, how some people make a blatant like incorrect call. It was not incorrect. It, it, it was it was more, in my opinion, a judgment call that maybe they didn't have to call it, but but chose to. Um, but um, I, I definitely saw how how much it frustrated her. And then on the line call. Yeah, that one. Again, for her, you've got to make sure that you are, 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 are really, you know, making it apparent to the chair umpire that you want to challenge something. You, you can't, you know, you can't go and observe and do all of these other things like some players do and expect for them then to just allow you to, you know, oh, yeah, sure, you can challenge. Now, no, you've got, I mean, they say it at the beginning, beginning of the match when they're at the net talking. They're like, if you're going to challenge, make it audible and be quick about it. Right. Otherwise, right. you got to move on. And I think that that's what happened there. And unfortunately for her, again, it was at that point where she was really losing or had lost control of the match. And that's what amplified the frustration. Great. Yeah, and it's certainly one to grow on for her and uh, going forward, uh, all sorts of lessons to take out of that one, not just from the tennis play itself, but from the regulatory issues as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, she's young, though, and extremely talented. So she, right. she will learn. Yep. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, I guess another issue we could we could uh, discuss or really revisit from the last time because I, I touched on it last time. I just kind of noticed it uh, during Wimbledon. Obviously, when it came into effect, is uh, the Wimbledon rule on wearing all white uh, it was uh, had an exception carved out for uh, women's undergarments for this starting this tournament. And I think, as you could see, not that everybody's focused on that, they certainly took advantage of that. There's no shortage of darker undergarments in this tournament, which uh, was what they were arguing for for many years uh, to begin with. Enough said, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, did you, I mean, uh, was it, you know, did you, it seemed like it was a long time coming, unless uh, you guys disagree for any reason. No. No. And, and you know, the funny thing for me is <laughs> I didn't even recognize <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the change for a long time. <laughs> I until I heard one of the commentators, uh, you know, make a comment on it. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I saw it and I was like, okay, that's that's new. Um, but honestly, like you, Bryce, I didn't really think much about it. I just I just figured that you know they relaxed it a little bit, but um, apparently they didn't relax it enough for Ange Jabeur when she went out to practice before the final, uh, coming out there in all black. Right. <laughs> they promptly sent her right back to the hotel and said, no, sis. <laughs> right. And, and, and for the listeners to understand the issue with Ange wearing all black in a practice, which is fine on the outside courts. Outside courts, right. But on the show courts, that's where you still had to be in the all white. That's right. <laughs> Those fun rules. Wimbledon rules, folks. Wimbledon yeah. rules. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no flash at all, just a respect for the ground. <laughs> but, uh, but speaking of respect for the grounds, uh, you know, certainly Djokovic is uh, is basically a demigod there at this point. But uh, there's a ha- uh, uh, a uh, hat trick, uh, to borrow a hockey term, of uh, Djokovic-related incidents that are probably worth mentioning here today, too. Um, I guess we should start in chronological order. Uh, he was called for, for a somewhat obscure call of hindrance in his match with Yannick Sinner and kind of... Uh, Lost his poise for a moment after that, and uh, the interesting thing with a hindrance call, which is basically you know an interruption of uh, the of your opponent's serve or, or game in some form or fashion, is uh, the other the opponent will win a point if it's intentional, uh, but if it's deemed unintentional, you would simply replay. And uh, I don't remember how it ultimately came out in that match, but uh, Djokovic certainly wasn't happy with that call originally. Right, and. And, you know, for me, this is one of those where when they showed the replay, it was clear that was the right call. Because, and I, maybe this is me understanding as a player, too, if you grunt or whatever, that typically happens during the course of the stroke, right? right. Once you've made the stroke and you are in your backswing, you're not really exhaling anything at that point, right? <laughs> and in this particular situation that you're talking about, Djokovic is continuing a yell while the ball is over on center side of the court right before he's getting ready to hit it. <laughs> and so for me, I don't think it was, and this is me kind of defending Djokovic a little bit, I don't think that was in his mind like, oh, I'm going to try to yell long enough so that I can disrupt center (laughs) because Djokovic knows he doesn't have to do that to win. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think in in my neighborhood or in my hood, this was a simple case of just being what we call extra. (laughs) (laughs) And he was being extra uh, on that yell and that call and he got called for it. And I thought it was I thought it was correct. Yeah. I, another little piece to add into that, Bryce, is I think it has to do a lot with, you know, kind of your your patterns as a player or how you grunt and what have you, because other players sort of have that same grunt where it extends into the other player's court when they're about to hit the ball. But I think because they're consistent with it, they don't get called for it. Whereas with Djokovic, he's not known for grunting. So that grunt, like you said, it was extra. He was trying Mm -hmm. to put a little something something on it. 
and let out the, you know, he he continued to grunt. And I honestly think that that also kind of played into it a little bit, because when you're not used to someone doing something like that or having an extended grunt, it comes out of the blue and you're like, yeah, that's probably that's like that's a hindrance. And I'm going to uh-huh. call that. But, you know, some of the other players, you know, that we've seen over the years, you know, their grunts have definitely been very extended. But because they're consistent, which is not necessarily a good thing, but the fact that they are, I don't believe I believe that's the reason why they didn't necessarily always get called. But the the reasoning behind Djokovic getting called. Be an extra. That's what it costs being extra, Paul. Don't be extra. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it reminds me, I got my uh, got my wife since we uh, watched Jersey Shore a good amount, especially early in our relationship, a, a T-shirt, uh, kind of a stocking stuff for a year or two back, uh, extra AF. Which is- <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> yeah, we'll send one of those to Novak. Give yes. it to him when we see him in Cincinnati. He's earned it. It's, it's yes, available yes. at uh, the Sitch store online if you're looking for it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but uh, c- continuing on the Djokovic party, uh, he like uh, Andriva and uh, and Tiafo in, uh, in in the match in, he, in which he lost as well also had uh, some pretty flagrant racket abuse in uh, the final against uh, Alcaraz there, where he uh, basically hit a home run off of the uh, off the net pole there. <laughs> so surprisingly, only fined eight thousand dollars, which they're calling a record. Uh, since the since the uh, conduct code provides for as much as a twenty thousand dollar fine and a potential point penalty for that, and I, I don't think he was assessed a point either at the time. Unless you, he was not. you guys remember, he was not. Okay, that's as uh, epic a uh, uh, meltdown I've seen it from him uh, since earlier in his career. <laughs> and my feeling on that, Paul, is is that funny enough? I think they gave him. I don't know. They, they gave him an allowance, in my opinion, because yeah, I he, think he has bank goodwill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because if you because you're at Wimbledon, this is the most prestigious tournament. Those grounds are hollow. They are yes. precious. So yep. for you to take your racket intentionally and damage a post. Yeah. To me, I felt that that was absolutely flagrant and he should have been charged the maximum as far as a penalty goes, in my opinion. Because, again, you just don't do that. And if it were a regular player that done, that had done that, they yeah, I don't, they might be looking at <laughs> not inviting them back to Wimbledon. Exactly. So I think, that, I think they gave Djokovic a big-time allowance for that. Because to me, that, for me, I was very disappointed with that conduct. In a final, you've got all these people, entertainment, everybody's out there watching this match, loving this match, and for you to do something like that, I just, I, I, it, it didn't, it did not sit well with me personally. Yeah, they look. I think Wimbledon felt bad for him. They were like, this little kid is putting them things on him, <laughs> and his head is twisted right now, and he twisted. don't really know what's going on. So we gonna go light on him. <laughs> you know what? He showed a lot of poise against Curios last year when Curios was having a meltdown. <laughs> so, right, right. I just watched Match Point the other day. It's like he was the grown up there. What happened in a year's time here? <laughs> oh, it it depends on the day with that one. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, wow. And then, of course, leading up to uh, Alcaraz and Djokovic in the final, there was the whole, again, the second non, non-scandal scandal of the uh, tournament with the uh, with uh, Papa Alcaraz filming uh, Djokovic's practice session, which, uh, you know, just looking quickly in the rule book, uh, despite all the, the uh, fuss made about it, there doesn't seem to be an express violation. And I think the important point that was made in the press that, you know, to the extent people were really analyzing it, was that uh, there is no... Uh, what you would call in criminal law, reasonable expectation of privacy uh, in the courts there at Wimbledon. If you're, if you're practicing outside where anybody else could see you, and there's probably any number of people practicing to one side or the other, uh, the idea that something would get recorded, especially these days, whether by fan or uh, father, shouldn't be that uh, uh, shocking to the conscience. I totally agree. And like I, I told you earlier, I have recorded players practices you know that we've put on social media and 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 my thing is if you want a private practice then you go rent out a private facility and you practice there but if you are on the grounds for the tournament that's public there's there's nothing wrong with that yeah yeah i I completely agree i mean scouting is allowed Right. I mean, take in contrast, I mean, it's my understanding that uh, when uh, Djokovic comes here for the U.S. Open, uh, he stays at a on a pretty uh, palatial uh, property in Alpine, New Jersey. And to the extent that the Alpine, New Jersey address um, has tennis courts, you know, uh, that would be more of an intrusion if somebody, say, uh, was sneaking on a uh, onto the grounds or ran, ran a drone over it or something like that. That's more, more inappropriate than <laughs> right. we're talking about here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I still am curious as to what Papa Alcaraz was thinking though. It's like, y'all know everything about Djokovic at this point. He got footage and film everywhere. What, There's a little bit of film on him at this point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he, look, he may have been getting into Novak's head at that point. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> we <see>. got tricks. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. That's good. Okay. Was there anything else you guys noticed from the tournament in particular that stood out? Those were the, again, I didn't watch everything, but those were the sort of the incidents that either made press or really kind of stood out to me when I was watching either way. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't. I, I didn't record anything else, uh, Paul. Bryce, how about you? Yeah, no, I, I can't think of anything else that that stuck out to me. Okay, okay. Well, there's another one we, we did discuss off camera uh, or off uh, mic here. Uh, you want to talk about Emer? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Woo. Yeah. So I mean, I I had personally heard about this and it seemed like it was out of nowhere. But then I uh, when I was doing my uh, my research on this, uh, that decision to ban him for eighteen months, uh, which was actually uh, at ITF's request originally two years, uh, came down from uh, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, which is basically the uh, court of uh, uh, of last chance, pretty much, for uh, this sort of dispute. The ITF had actually appealed it up to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, who had knocked it down by a few months. Um, and uh, unless Emer now goes to uh, the Federal Supreme Court of Switzerland, uh, that's pretty much what it is. There's no other levels to this. So, uh, well, Paul, you- let, me, let me ask you this question. What concerned me about this case when I first heard about it was the fact that 
Mikhail said that he was found guilty or whatever and assessed the suspension. And then it was heard by this case was heard by independent arbitrators, a review, an independent review panel that was selected by the ITF. And they and they ended up saying they overturned it. And so then the ITF appealed it being overturned. Yeah, that's an interesting state of affairs, I gotta, gotta say. But uh, the, the other interesting thing too that people might want to point to is that uh, it was it was a whereabouts, a uh, series of whereabouts violations. Right. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Emer actually came up dirty on anything. He, just he did not. And, and these correct. were three out of competition randoms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, and I'm I'm just going to add this. And I'm not using no names because I'm not having <laughs> nobody come back and say Bryce said. Bryce that said that I you said, said right. <laughs> but I have heard from yep. several people mm. that there have been a number of higher profile professional tennis players who have missed three out of competition random tests and nothing happened. Nada nothing happened to them and so it made it sound like this was this particular type of offense is very subjective in terms of when they choose to go after somebody or not and for those people who maybe don't keep up Mikhail Emer has always been a very outspoken spoken person right, right? Okay. on different things and so there's this there is a thought that there is some sort of retribution going on here against him for being so outspoken about so many things on the tour um, that they're going after him. Right. And they also sacked him after one of his uh, best wins. Didn't he knock off Taylor Fritz recently? They did. Don't yes. hey, look. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Don't, don't mess with the top Americans. <laughs> <laughs> well and, and and i wonder if it came to a boiling point when he was at that uh that one tournament i can't remember the details but remember there was an issue with the the chair umpire making a horrible call and you know he he at yep. that point it just boiled over and he got to and he basically did his very he got to the chair and and basically just kind of beat up on the chair on the on the chair where the umpire was sitting and ended up getting defaulted. Now, mind you, when Zverev did it, it was at the end of the match. So, of course, he, you know, would didn't lose the match. Well, he already lost the match. But <laughs> with Emer, they defaulted him. And right. you just wonder how all these things are, you know, you wonder about the web and how things are connected. Right, because I am still confused about that situation because, in, in my mind, if you are a chair umpire, mm-hmm. right, and we're playing on clay where we say you can go check a mark. Correct. If a play, no matter if you think from, from your seat, from the chair umpire seat, you already know what it is. What did it take for you to come out of that Get seat and chair. go and to yeah. just verify? And guess what? If he had done that, there would have never even been a situation. I agree. I agree. So to me, I felt like the chair umpire is the one that really escalated that situation, that situation more yep. so than Emer did. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree. How old is, uh, off the top of your, 
in my head. I don't know. How old is Zimmer? Is this the sort of thing where uh, this is just poorly timed, but, uh, but he still has a lot of good years ahead, or is he on the older side? And this is uh, no, he's probably in his mid twenties, right? Yeah, I think he's probably twenty four, twenty five. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Maybe twenty six, but yeah, definitely not not older than that. Yeah, he's young kids. Right. Okay. Uh, and then uh, while we're on the uh, violations parade, uh, he's black too. <laughs> and, oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Is that what you what what'd you say, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> he might be from Sweden, but right, but <laughs> but he black too. So uh, anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me put that out there. Oh wow. Uh, <laughs> oh. Well, speak, speaking of a similar line of violations, but switching uh, switching color, I guess Brooks. Brooks, Brooks <laughs> <with> you. <laughs> oh, you are hilarious! Jensen <laughs> uh, Brooks, we uh, made the headlines with a provisional suspension this week too, or this past two weeks, didn't he? He did. He yes, sure he did. Now, uh, you know what's interesting to me about this one? I mean, I, you know, procedurally, that's simply a, uh, a period of ineligibility until they actually have a hearing that uh, somebody uh, either accepts or is given. But uh, he's been injured. Um, so I, I don't know much firsthand about what led to this. But, uh, but uh, you know, I've seen it in other sports, particularly in boxing, uh, where a, uh, an athlete will come up dirty uh, coming off of a rehab where they may have used some sort of performance-enhancing drug uh, right. or steroid to help recover faster, and they're just caught dirty. It didn't cycle out. Yep. So I'm wondering what happened here. I don't know if you guys heard more about this, but, uh, I mean, the uh, provisional suspension is fairly straightforward. I'm just not clear on the origin because I know he's been out for most of the last year. Well, let me just add two things real quick. Number one, Isaac, you're dead on. I just looked up Emer 24, so okay. a good call on the age. Number two. All right, because we have talked to uh, Jensen Brooksby before, and Jensen is another one that is who considers himself not in the in crowd. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Of professional tennis. Correct. So he's not been one of this group of Americans that we see where they're all friends and happy go lucky and they got support from the USTA and all this. Jensen is very clear. He didn't get any of that. Yeah, he is an outlier, that's for sure. Yeah, so when you're talking, once again, I guess what I would say is consistent with Mikhail Emer is that they could both be per- potentially perceived as outsiders. Right. Interesting. So uh, males standing up that are getting hammered down here, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, Interesting. One that's, uh, I think, regardless of whether or not uh, she's an outlier, the last one that I noticed in the last couple of weeks was this uh, strange uh, conduct by uh, Toth in the the, the Hungarian Grand Prix. (laughs) (laughs) Had you seen anything like this before? Uh, I mean, certainly that falls under unsportsmanlike conduct. Uh, That one was governed not by the Grand Slam rules, obviously, but the WTA rules, which basically have the same definition. Uh, for that, uh, it could also be seen as dishonorable or unprofessional conduct. Uh, but that was a weird one. Uh, did you guys get to watch that? I, I just read the headlines. I was like, really? How would you even think you get away with that? <laughs> even if it is your first tournament. But... Yeah, I did not catch that. Yeah, I didn't see it either. And typically, Paul, um, when a player goes and they erase a mark with their foot, 
Yeah. They're basically saying that they're conceding it. Like it was, you know, the call was either good or whatever. Um, but in this particular situation, mm-hmm. where I think she already had the benefit, I mean, she had the call in her favor. <laughs> and right. I don't know if she thought that, oh, okay, now it's going to get overturned and then to erase it. Yeah, that's shady, shady. I, I do actually remember seeing a preview of that, fellas. And 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 so I guess what had happened was Wang was she was asking the umpire to check and they were going back and forth and back and forth. And this was, again, kind of like that Emer situation, Bryce, that you mentioned, where the umpire was like, I, I don't I don't need to check it. And 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 we going you know, keep things moving. And she Wang wouldn't let it go. And so they just were going back and forth, back and forth. And finally, the empire was like, no, this is the ruling. And then I guess old girl, who I forgot what her name was, she was right. kind of fed up with it. So she was just like, she, and that's when she went up and she wiped out the mark, which made Wayne even more upset. Right. So then she started crying. <laughs> yep. And it just got all crazy at that point. But yeah, I believe that's kind of how that thing went down. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things. It's like, Okay, they've made the call. All she needed to do is go down and 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 check. And if she'd gotten back up in the chair, I mean, it probably would have continued, but everything would have, have, have been a little bit better. But yeah, I, I definitely the opponent, like I said, it did not help when she yeah just kind of rubbed the uh rubbed the uh the call out. But she was, but you know, but you know, tr- trying to you know take up for her, she was at the point where she was like, look. The chair umpire said what they said. Let's keep it moving. Let's get this match going. And I mean, they were going back and forth, back and forth. And and so she then got frustrated and was like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna wipe the wipe the wipe the mark off." So again, it was it was just not good for any either any of those three. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, unless you're conceding the point, it it's interference. Hey, yep. 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 You know. Yeah. It is it's plain and simple. Yeah, it's a and a uh, and a pretty decent argument for uh, at some point getting Hawkeye at all tournaments, big and small. But uh, absolutely, <laughs> it'll take a lot of this away. I tell you, I'm definitely a fan for it. But I'm gonna throw something else out there. Yeah, okay. I, I, I was originally fully in that camp of okay, I like the Hawkeye because then you take away any questioning of calls, but. Paul, I don't know about you, and Isaac, I don't know about you, but it seems like lately I have seen a couple of more missed Hawkeye type calls. Yeah. That we, I don't know if we didn't see those in the beginning or whatever. Um, That makes it a little more questionable. Now, granted, even when you have a human person, you're going to have errors there, right? Right. So, but, you know, the whole Hawkeye thing is sold from the perspective of, you know, this is. 99.9999% 99.9999% accurate, right? And this is what you're going to use when you challenge anyway. So you might as well go with this call from the start. But I think there's more questions now about sometimes the accuracy. Right. Well, it sounds like you might be uh, out of curiosity now. Um, I got to see how how far into the old school you go. Uh, what's your feeling as far as umpires and baseball versus electronics that they're talking about and uh, instant replay and boxing versus referees? Baseball? What's that? Seems sort of issue. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! 
I, I've heard I, I, baseball, especially. I've heard debated on sports radio a lot. Boxing is more, maybe more particular to me. But uh. <laughs> I guess for me, I don't. I I feel like technology can play a positive role in 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 all of the different sports. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think honestly, Bryce, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that it does seem like there is just sometimes when you're looking, you're like, really, was that there? But I honestly wonder if it's not. If because remember, there are there are multiple technologies out there. So you've got Hawkeye, you've got ShotSpot, you've got mm-hmm. all these different. So I just wonder what is the you know kind of what's the threshold that they're using in 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 the in the technology and is that good enough because again like you're saying i do see instances where i'm like whoo that that really seemed like that was out and then Think it about comes this back and, yeah like this oh the, you now see so we so paul we were at the uts <laughs> event uh the ultimate tennis showdown event and i tell you what there was a bunch of calls they they definitely needed to um, uh, reboot. <laughs> the, <laughs> I love that reboot. They <laughs> needed to do a reboot. <laughs> Who they have as judges them? there? I mean, was it like Danny Davis from the eighties WWE? <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was one shot in particular, and you're right, Isaac. There were several, but I know you remember that one that was that call that was on. The, on the outside of the doubles line, yes. there was one shot that the whole stadium knew that was out. And you, like, you heard the stadium. I mean, it was that obvious. <laughs> and I think it was against Mofis because I think Mofis was just kind of like, like, really? and, and to his credit, he continued playing the point. But right. everybody in the stadium knew that shot was out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> it so was, you can. You can only hope that for the bigger tournaments that they are looking to have, you know, I guess technology that's going to be a bit more tight, if that makes any sense. You know, as far as, again, the threshold of error. Um, But, but yeah, I do think that there may be some, you know, there may be some low budget versions out there (laughs) (laughs) that might be like, hey, we'll give you like. We'll give you 92%. How about that? <laughs> and, and they're like, yeah, why not? Let's go with the 92%. Whereas, right. okay, if you're, at a, if you're at a main event, 500,000 Grand Slam, look, you need that thing to be 99.9. And if you don't mm-hmm. have a threshold like that, then I'm sorry. You you need to get that money out and spend to get, get you know, get the right version. Right. So, and the only, <laughs> just saying. And the, and the other thing that concerns me just a little bit is... And I guess all industries deal with this, right? When you bring in technology, then that usually equates to the elimination of some human jobs, right? And then when you think of our sport, you know, there are just certain kind of like staples that have been there, you know, lines people, you know, and judges and and what are we going to now start having like drains around the court where you don't need the ball kids anymore. (laughs) And, And these type of things where it's like they're part of the sport. Right. Yeah. Most, a lot of professional tennis players started off as ball kids. Mm-hmm. That's you know, true. I mean, how many people have started off or have done things in tennis from the volunteer standpoint? And and I'm not saying, OK, because of that, don't use the technology. But there there are other considerations in terms of how when you bring that in, it does impact uh, the spirit of the sport. Absolutely. That's true. That's very true. That's where, that's where I was going with baseball and boxing when I posed that question a few moments ago. Uh, some people are like, oh, no, you got to keep the umpires and refs. That's part of the game. And right. 
but uh, if, they're, if they're blowing calls, I mean, whether it's, you know, home runs or, or, or knockdowns, I mean, that could have serious impact in some sports. So I could definitely see both arguments, tradition versus just getting it right. It just depends what camp you fall into, I guess. Right, so, right. But, uh, so can we go back to Emer just one for just one more second? So I, <laughs> I, I, I know that you stated that right now it's at the, well, the decision that came down came down from like the highest appellate court yeah, yeah. Um, the arbitration for sport is usually your last stop uh, if your sport chooses to use it as its court of appeals. So. Okay. So with this 18-month um, suspension, so are you saying that this this is sticking? Yeah. The, the one exception, as I mentioned, is with the uh, they could appeal the court of arbitration of sport to the federal Supreme Court of Switzerland. Um, and uh, to my knowledge, that's not frequently done, but it's a mechanism that is there. Uh, but generally, the, you know, the CAS is recognized as the last stop in a lot of these major sports disputes. Uh, I mean, just to name a few, you know, uh, recently in track and field, uh, Castor Semenya, uh, her matter was uh, basically found its ending point there. Uh, staying on track and field, you had... Uh, uh, Oscar Pistorius, before he became known for far more sinister things, taking yeah. his uh, challenge of uh, 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 whether he could use the certain the blades he was running on. That went up to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, and then he was allowed in the Olympics accordingly once they ruled there. Uh, you know, so some of the biggest disputes you could think of, especially in amateur and Olympic sports, have gone up there, and they and they usually stop there. Uh, but there is that option if somebody actually wanted to take it up of going to the uh, federal Supreme Court of Switzerland. Wow. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mikhail better call Ben Crump. Another jurisdiction. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Well, Paul, I mean, th- th- these these have been some really good topics to bring up, and and we've not had this before, you know, someone to be able to come on and to give us, you know, the legal or the regulation uh, rules side of things um, for a lot of these various situations. So thank you so much for coming on again. Uh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, I was just happy we had a few with Curious out with an injury this year. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm assuming he'll be back for the U.S. Open, so maybe we'll have a few incidents to talk about. <laughs> By the way, before I forget, before we go off, one interesting thing. I don't know where this is going, but Curio sent a post yesterday with a picture with Mike Tyson saying, big announcement coming soon or something on Instagram. I'm like, what is this guy doing next? Did you hear about this yet, or do you see that? I was like, is he boxing? What is he doing? That'd be insane. I saw the picture, and FYI, the event that we were at this weekend, this UTF event, um, Tyson was there, uh, as well as Kyrgios. Um, So I I know that kind of puts them together. So I'm, I'm not sure what kind of project they've got coming up, but... Uh, you know Tyson's daughter is a very, very good tennis player. Oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, how old is she? What? She's maybe like fourteen, fifteen, maybe, bro. Yeah, she's she's young. She's young. Um, yeah. 
But okay. she is, uh, yeah, she is a very good junior tennis player. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, I wonder if it has something to do with that. That, to me, seems a little bit more, uh, you know, in line <laughs> versus <laughs> Kyrgios jumping in on jumping and doing anything on the boxing side. That's for sure. Heavyweight title holder uh, Alexander Usyk is looking for somebody after Fury went to uh, Francis Naganu for his next fight. <laughs> <laughs> and I just and I just looked it up. Tyson's daughter is thirteen. Now, oh, thirteen. Tennis. Got yes. it. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'd say she still has a minute bit between Andriva and then when uh, Coco Goff got started, uh, maybe another year or two or three before she really gets rolling, I guess. If she's going to yeah, go next level. Yeah. yeah. And they have it down here. She is currently training to become a professional tennis player. There you oh, go. Wow. She's going to take the iron nickname is the question. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, well, Paul, uh, before we go, do you want to take once again an opportunity to just kind of pitch, you know, your law services to our our audience? Well, sure. I'm never shy about taking that opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. uh, As far as anyone who's uh, interested that's probably listening to this, uh, I do have uh, quite an extensive background in sports law. Uh, which is one of my major uh, areas of representation. Uh, I have represented uh, five world champions in uh, boxing and MMA. I've represented dozens of other athletes uh, in combat sport and in other sports, uh, actually including tennis, and uh, happy to uh, uh, represent uh, any of you that might be listening as need be, whether it's regulatory or, uh, or in litigation or what have you. Uh, I'm here for you. And uh, once again, I thank the two of you for this opportunity. I always enjoy myself on here. <laughs> we always enjoy having you, Paul. And thank you again for all the support that you've given. It is greatly appreciated. Uh, my Absolutely. pleasure. All right. Well, until the next set of incidents, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go ahead and close this one up. So thank you, Paul. And on behalf of the podcast, this has been your boy, Bryce. And this is your boy, Isaac. And we are Brothers on Tennis. Everyone, be well. Take care, everybody. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.